Praise God. Good morning, Christ Chapel. How are you? Good, good. God bless you guys. If you're tuning in on our internet campus, we love you. We're glad you're tuning in. Uh, I am excited about this morning. I'm honored uh, to get to preach God's word to you this morning. We are going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. We've got a ton to cover, so go ahead and flip there uh, now. It's been a fun passage to prepare for this week and, and study and get to dive into the context and the history, dive into the original language that Peter was using in the Greek to, to gather um, godly women in my life and, and, and share with them and, and learn from them and listen to them, as you'll see how valuable that's been for me um, in studying this passage. It's a great passage. Uh, this past Friday was my son, my youngest son, Miles. It was his fourth birthday, and so we got a lot of Legos given to us. My son loves Legos. He does not know how to put them together, though, yet at four, uh, which means dad puts together a lot of Legos. And he has this one that's a, an Iron Man, some sort of Iron Man robot suit. And it was the most confusing Lego thing I have ever put together. When I was a kid, Legos were, they were all just kind of one thing. Everybody's head just had a smiley face. That's all it was. Now you got expressions and all kinds of weird pieces. They're not just blocks anymore, guys. It's changed. Kids don't know how good they have it. Uh, but there I was trying to put together this Iron Man, and, uh, and, and it's confusing. And there's all, as I'm following the instructions, you see, well, why would this piece go with this piece? And you're sitting there putting it together, and it feels like a Bob Ross painting where it just doesn't make sense, and all of a sudden it comes together, and you're like, oh, there it is, it's his leg, and it all comes together. It comes together because I have instructions, and I need instructions to build. What's gonna happen in 1 Peter chapter three is instructions for marriage, it is instructions for marriage. And there are gonna be times where God gives us instructions and commands and we think, I don't know that I would do that and why would I put that and why would we do this and why would we order things in that way? But this is God's instruction for marriage. It's not all-encompassing instructions for marriage, but there are foundational principles here to wives and to husbands in these seven passages that I believe we need. I think we need them. Whether, whether you have a marriage and it is going amazing, whether you have a marriage and uh, you are frustrated and you feel stuck and you wish somebody would just give you an instruction manual of how this thing works and how to figure her out or how to figure him out and how to make this fit together, um, whether you are um, married and now no longer married, whether you are single and you don't want to be single anymore, uh, there is so much here for, I, I really think, anyone uh, in God's word and just looking at his design. And uh, there's gonna be some hard things and there's gonna be some things that are convicting, I think. Um, but my hope is that you will also hear all throughout here, just in line with God's character, his grace. His grace all throughout the instructions and these hard, challenging commands that so many of us come up short on, there is grace, and that grace is more powerful than your shame, and it is more powerful than your mistakes in marriage, and it's more powerful than the ways that you feel like you've just been defeated. His grace is more powerful. And so that's what we have before us. Before I, uh, I get into these principles, I've got to set up the verses and the context uh, for us to understand where we're going here and where Peter's taking us. Uh, and let me give you a heads up. There are gonna be phrases, and there's gonna be words, and there's gonna be commands in scripture that um, might offend some. And at first glance, you might think, I don't know that I like that, and I don't know if I like that word or that phrase, or man, that doesn't sit well with me. I love this church. I love Christ Chapel because Christ Chapel is gonna stand on the word of God. 
And this is gonna be our authority. And by that I mean when we come across things that don't sit well, we're not preaching our feelings. We're not preaching what's comfortable and what's convenient. We're preaching God's word and we're gonna stand on that. We don't apologize for it and we don't water it down and we don't manipulate it so that it feels uh, easier to swallow. We say, what is God's word? And when we run into things in scripture that we think, well, wait a second, this is a little unsettling and I don't know if I like this command and instruction for God. We don't cancel it or reject it or mark it out of our Bible. You know what we do? We dig deeper. That's what we do because we trust this as authoritative. And so when we run into those things, we dig deeper. And so that's what's gonna have to happen this morning. Um, At the end of the day, this is gonna be about trusting God. It's gonna be about do we trust his instructions for marriage? Do we trust his design? I'm gonna read the entire passage uh, to you, verses one through seven, just so we kind of have a big idea of where we're going. And then we're gonna chop it up into, into a handful of principles for wives and a handful of principles for husbands that we'll see. So I'm gonna start with verse one in chapter three here. Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you and the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. We are gonna have some fun this morning. Are you ready? God's word. Let's start with this. The very first word in this passage, this chapter three, is this word likewise. And likewise is there for a reason. And so even before we get into the principles, we've got to understand the context that chapter three, one through seven, sits in in the context of what Peter is saying. And he intentionally says likewise because he's tying it back to a theme that started in the middle of chapter two. Dr. Cecil preached on it last week, and it's this theme of submission, The theme of submission starts in the middle of chapter two and it goes through, and if you remember last week or if you studied 2 Peter, 1 Peter chapter two, uh, you you see this idea of submission with slaves and masters and submission with government. And now it's just a different sphere. That same theme of submission, now how it plays out in the marriage. And then it will continue on that same theme outside of verses seven and will go on. But we're gonna see just a different sphere of this idea of submission. In order for this passage to make sense, in order to see what God has for us, we have, got to, we have got to make submission no longer a bad word to us. So often that word feels like a bad word for wives to submit to husbands. I don't know how comfortable we feel with that. That is a word that sometimes makes us feel uncomfortable. And submission has been hijacked. It has been hijacked by our world. It has been hijacked by our culture, specifically even these verses, church, They have been used out of context. They've been used poorly. There are verses that is God's word and it is true. And yet there are people who have taken these out of context in other contexts and they have used them as a a bat 
to be a chauvinist. And that is not what God is saying. Let me make this, um, let me make this caveat. And this is really important. So listen to this. And I want you to apply this to all of the rest of the difficult commands and challenges that God's gonna lay before us. If, if you are in a relationship where you are being abused, we want you to be free of that. We wanna walk with you, we wanna protect you as the church. If you are in danger, we love you, we care about you, and we wanna walk with you. You are not alone in that. Uh, we wanna be approachable for that, and, and we believe that your heavenly Father also wants to protect you. So you need to hear that, because there are gonna be some hard commands in here, but we, I want you to hear that, I want you to understand that, and I want you to see that there's a lot of people who've taken these verses and used them to abuse other people and use them to, to be chauvinists. And, and we're gonna see how that is so far from what God's word is actually saying here. Um, this word submission, it's what we signed up for as believers. Right? Submission is what we signed up for when we said we were gonna follow Christ. It's all throughout scripture. Right? It is all throughout scripture. It, it's in the popular parts of scripture, right? John 15, uh, which is a, a fun great passage to preach where Jesus is the vine and we are the branches and we cannot bear fruit without him. That is a concept of submission. That is a concept that we cannot bear fruit if we are not submitted to the vine, if we're not connected to the vine. Galatians 2.20, Paul in his testimony says, I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live. Even Paul's testimony admits this idea of submission and how he talks about it is he's dead. He's dead to himself. His life isn't his own. What more powerful picture of submission can you get than Paul saying, I'm crucified with Christ. The life I now live, I live for Christ. This theme of submission is all throughout scripture. If you're a follower of Christ, it's what we signed up for. Romans 6.18, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. It's a part of our calling. Submission is worship. For us, when we worship, even through song, it is an expression where we're not just singing words out of our mouth, we're submitting our heart to these truths that we believe. The big idea that we're gonna see throughout these seven verses is that submission, which is threaded all throughout the sermon, is the foundation of a redemptive life. Submission is the foundation of a redemptive life, but biblical submission, it's gonna require godly trust. And so with this idea of submission that we see in, in 1 Peter, we're also gonna see this application all throughout the sermon, all throughout these passages of trust. He's called us to submit and what that's gonna take is trust. With that groundwork laid, let's jump into this first principle for wives. First two verses of chapter three. Peter said this, remember he said, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they will be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Let's make sure we realize the weight of what Peter is saying here. Um, he is saying that a wife is called to submit, right? It's the same concept that Dr. Cecil unpacked, this idea of, of being under, right? Being in order under someone, uh, this, this husband here in this context. And to submit and to put yourself under that husband, even, it says, even if some do not obey the word of God. So God's word is 
is challenging, and it's, it's encouraging, it's commanding, it is giving instruction for wives to submit to their husbands, even those who don't obey the word of God. Let me paint that picture. That means that even a husband who doesn't care about the things of God, a wife is supposed to submit to? Why? God cares about his daughters. Why would he do that? That that husband doesn't even care about God. Why would he care to do that? The mystery of God's grace amazes me. I am amazed constantly through scripture, consistently through scripture. God cares about people who do not care about him. God cares about people who do not reciprocate their love and their obedience to him. And it's baffling to see the grace of God time and time again. And because of that reason, it gives us no room for self-righteousness. It gives us no room to think, okay, well, I'm at a spiritual level here, and my husband is at a spiritual level here, because the truth is, we were all dead in sin. We were all dead in sin and needed Christ to bring us to life. That the truth is that while we were still sinners, while all of us were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so that spiritually, it leaves no room for self-righteousness for me to be able to say, well, wait a second, I'm higher in the spiritual hierarchy than my husband, so why should I have to submit to him? And God gives us this incredibly bold, incredibly challenging instruction. Submit, even if they're not obeying the, the word of God. And why? It says here, so that some might be won over God wants those husbands who are less mature than their wives, who aren't even obeying God's word. God cares about them to be won over, and he wants to use his daughters in a part of his mission for his glory. That's amazing, and that's beautiful, and that's difficult. But that is what God is is laying here before us. Uh, Remember in 1 Peter 2, Verses 12, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this concept where uh, it, it talked about the idea that if evildoers are slandering you, this concept of you turn the other cheek and you repay them with kindness and good deeds so that when they get to the judgment, they might praise God. They might have seen the way you responded and bring God glory. And it's this concept that we've seen even connected all throughout this idea of submission that Maybe we have to lay down winning at times because God wants us to win someone over. But it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel just. I shouldn't have to submit to this person. And yet God is saying, I I know, but sometimes I I want you to lay down what you feel is right because you trust me, because I have a plan, because I want to use it for my glory to win someone over. And it's an amazing command. Um, It really is to bring God glory. Submit to your husband and bring God glory. That is a command from God. That's an instruction from God. Let me, let me make this observation. Uh, the verse does not say women submit to men, just as a caveat. That's not what the verse says. Uh, it says wives submit to husbands. It doesn't say women, sh- all women need to submit to all men. No, no, no. God's designed the marriage in a very specific way with particular roles for his design. Uh, and so be careful how you apply God's word and make sure you're applying it correctly. Uh, so the question is, do you trust? Do you trust God's design for your marriage more than you trust your own? And that is a, maybe it's an easy question for me to ask, but I would imagine that is a really 
difficult question for some of you to answer, and I don't take that lightly, because to submit to your husbands who have hurt you in that way, who have betrayed trust in that way, who aren't leading the way that you feel like they should be leading and the way that you would want to lead and to be able to submit to that. And that is a difficult process and you are not alone in that and, and, and you, can, you can walk in community as you try to play out this command. It, it doesn't have to be an isolated thing in your marriage and walk with other pastors and shepherds, but the question is still before you, do you trust God's design for your marriage more than what you would want to do if you were in the driver's seat at all times. Second principle for wives is this. It's in verses three through five in chapter three. This is what Peter says. Do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry and the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Which, God, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy woman who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands. This principle here in, in, these, past, in these three verses, this is not a principle of simply things that are off limits. I, I wanna make sure we have that observation. This is not a principle designed to say, here are all the things you're not allowed to do. This is a principle designed to show you a more and deeper value of women. Uh, I think the NASB translates the Greek uh, in, I think, the most helpful way, and because in the translation of the Greek, they add the word merely, I think very appropriately. And it says, do not let your adorning uh, merely be external. And I think that's an important clarification that we have to understand what this verse is saying. Is It's not saying, uh, hey, don't wear jewelry, it's evil, braiding your hair is evil. That's not what it's saying. It's saying, don't find your worth exclusively in those outward things, find it inwardly. The principle is this, wives, build your worth on your God-given internal beauty. Build your worth on that God-given internal beauty. Um, I think this concept and this principle isn't necessarily new to us. Uh, this idea that, that women uh, have been given an internal beauty and it's not all ex external, I think, um, as many things as they get wrong, I think Disney has done a pretty good job of, uh, of having lots of Disney princesses who I, I think, hey, it's our truth, right? They, they took our truth. But this idea that, that, that women have value intrinsically in who they are and, and that's, that's valuable and that's important and that's true, it's not necessarily rare to hear that sentiment now. But do you understand the radicalness when this was written, when First Peter wrote this, in the context that he wrote this, how amazingly radical that sentiment would have been. To, to say authoritatively that women have a deeper value than just simply the fact that they were adornment pieces for men, that simply they were just objects for men in the culture that they were in. And now Peter comes in and says, no, 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 no. Way before the culture had caught on, the culture was saying, no, women are objectified and women are a part of an adornment for a man's shoulder or a man's pleasure. And, and Peter comes in and says, no, that's not how God sees them. There is an internal, don't only find your value in the external. There is an internal beauty that the designer of sunsets and mountains and lilies of the field, the creator of the universe, has given you this internal beauty that he says your worth should be built on. Where is our trust, though? Or do you trust God's definition of beauty more than you trust 
uh, the world standards. And I think a good way to determine that question is how do you measure it? How do you measure that in your own life? Um, do you measure your worth and beauty as a number on a scale or as likes on social media or as affirmation or as attention you get? Do you set your worth based on spending more time looking in the mirror or, or looking in what God's word, who he says you are? I'm not saying get rid of your mirrors. Uh, mirrors are good. That's a great thing. But look through them through the lens of what God says, who you are, how valuable you are, and where that internal beauty comes. Do you trust God's definition of beauty? Do you trust it? Last principle for wives, and then I'm coming for you, husbands. Last principle for wives is, is this. It's in verse six. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. You know the command, do not fear? It shows up in scripture over 300 times. It is a common command all throughout scripture. God telling us, do not fear, do not fear. And I think it's because it is something that is debilitating and sneaky in our hearts. It creeps into our hearts and it is also the enemy of trust all throughout the sermon, this theme of, of trust, trust, trust to a God who you're submitting to. Um, and the other side of that coin is this idea of fear, right? It's this idea of fear that would, that would keep me from trusting. Will I follow? I love that, he, that Peter used Sarah too, who was the wife of Abraham. Think of the trust that she would have had to have in her, in her God to follow the man that God put in her life, Abraham, who left everything, right? They left all of their family, all of their friends to go to a new land that God was gonna give them, promises that just seemed radically crazy that she was gonna be the mother of a nation and this was well beyond her childbearing years and all of these promises and yet she trusted and she followed this man, Abraham, who was far from perfect and, and her faithfulness God used to start his people in the Old Testament um, and yet fear would have had her steer that somewhere else. But she didn't. She said, I will follow. Um, that's going to require you to reject fear. It's going to require you to reject fear that would derail your relationship. Um, because that's what fear does. It, it no longer lets us want to trust God's design. It, it makes us want to grab the steering wheel and say, no, I've got to control this. And I need to steer this. Uh, and, and it's one thing to say we need to increase our trust. And, and like I said, the other side of that same coin, and maybe even an easier way to evaluate for yourself is, okay, what's the fear? It's hard to just say, well, let's trust more. Maybe it's easier if you say, okay, well, what am I afraid of? What am I afraid of letting go? What am I afraid is gonna happen if I trust God this way, if I trust my husband's way, if I, if I trust God's way of doing this? Um, and, and let me be sure too that, this is not just asking you to trust your husband. It's asking you to trust God first and foundationally. And then, yes, there has to be trust with your husband. But this is about do you follow him or in his way? And then all the what ifs happen, right? The what ifs start to come in of, well, what if this? And what if he doesn't lead right? And what if we go the wrong direction? What if, and all the what ifs. Ask yourself this question. Do you trust God more than you fear the worst case scenario? The worst case, what if? There are, some, there are some bad scenarios in scripture of men and women of God who've experienced hard circumstances. And there's, 
There's these beautiful stories of them coming out of those and still trusting God and seeing what he does through hard circumstances. Do you trust God more than you fear your worst case scenario of submitting to a husband that God put in your life? I know that is not easy. Um, I know those are difficult. I know that some of those are very loaded and weighted. Um, to, to submit, to, to do it God's way is not easy. But it is good. So do you trust him? Husbands. Husbands, you get one verse, which I love that Peter did that. Uh, there's six verses for wives with these three rich principles. And then there's this one verse packed with, with great principles for husbands. But I feel like our attention span is way shorter. And so they just were gracious and just gave us one verse and put it all in there. Um, husbands. First principle we see really in this whole passage, in, in the crux of this book, is husbands submit to Christ as your example for leadership. Husbands submit to Christ as your example of leadership. Uh, if you thought that the idea of submission, um, that you were off the hook, that that was something that applied to just wives and not husbands, I mean, that is not the case. Submission very much is not just a wife thing. Um, Tie back in, because this verse starts with likewise. Remember, it says, it says, likewise husbands, right? And so that likewise ties back to chapter two, specifically chapter two, verse 21. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. We have an example in Christ as husbands that we are called to follow. And so when it says likewise husbands, what it means is likewise, just the way Christ suffered, that is our example to do what Christ did. We see a very similar sentiment from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5. If you're familiar with Ephesians 5, it talks that we should submit to each other, submit to one another. It talks about wives submitting to husbands. And it says in verses 25 and 26 of chapter 5, it Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Wow. That is the role of husbands in this partnership of husbands and wives. A wife to submit to a husband and a husband to be able to submit as the example of Christ, to love his wife the way Christ loved the church. Do you know what we're signing up for? The way Christ loves the church, husbands are signing up for sacrifice, to joyfully sacrifice, to lay down our lives. How did Christ love the church? He hung on a cross for undeserving people. He hung on a cross for undeserving people. Hey, let that be the example, husbands, for how you submit and how you love your wife that you would lay down your life for her. Men, husbands, this doesn't work. You, you do not have the store of strength to be able to love your wife the way God has called you to if you don't first know how you are loved, if you haven't been impacted and changed and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ that said, while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. The gospel of Jesus Christ, which offers you something so much better than everything else you've tried. And so if you're trying to figure out relationships and marriage and you are struggling, start there. Start with, have I surrendered my life to Christ? 
Have I traded being a slave for all of the things that I've been trying to, to find my satisfaction and my masculinity in? Have I, have I traded those to be a slave of righteousness in his kingdom where there is purpose? And to not do that is exhausting. It is exhausting. And I know if you aren't in Christ and you're trying to do this thing right, it is exhausting. And I, I would argue it's impossible without the Holy Spirit. You gotta know how you are loved first. Know and experience the grace of God. That he says you have never gone too far. Your, your ability to wander and sin is not more powerful than my ability to call you back and pay for that sin. And so if you are a husband and you are watching this or you are listening to this, come to Jesus. You are exhausted. I know you are because you are not designed for all of the other things that you're chasing. And if you stop and slow down long enough, you will admit to and you will feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I am exhausted. Don't just try to tape your marriage together. Come to Jesus, surrender to him. The gospel says, come, everyone who's weary. From that place, then we love our wives. From that place of knowing how we are loved undeservingly, we love our wives. We serve our wives. We sacrifice for our wives. Do you trust God's design for your marriage more than your own? Do you trust God had a way that he built this more than the way that you want to build it yourself? And that's what you signed up for, to lay your life down. And, and, not, and not just to say, I, I would take a bullet. There is a difference between being a husband who would say, I would take a bullet for my wife. That's great, good. It is another thing, and it is a more biblical thing to say, I will lay down my life for my wife daily. I will put her needs before mine. I will love her the way Christ loves me daily. That's what it looks like to lay your life down. You can't do this without knowing how loved you are, though. So don't miss that. Don't try to do it in your own strength. You'll run out. Second principle for husbands. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. What does that mean, weaker vessel? Let me tell you what it means. The word there, weaker vessel, does not mean less than. It does not mean devalued. What Peter is saying there is he's saying it is precious, He's saying it has a different role and a different purpose and in many ways is even more valued to honor it as something that is precious. Not just less than, but precious. Let me illustrate it this way. Could you toss me that? Okay. This right here is a tin coffee mug, right? You put hot coffee in it and it burns you, so I'm not sure why they designed it this way, but there it is. It is durable. It is made to be thrown in a camping bag. It's durable. It has a purpose and a role, and it serves its purpose well. Toss me the other one. This is a crystal mug that I got for my wedding, and this is the first time I've used it, so thank you, Aunt Paula. <clears throat> this is crystal, right? This has a different purpose, a different role, than this. This is not less valuable, but watch this. It's fine. I drop it all the time, right? It's designed for that. It's durable. It's strong. It's steady. That's it's fine. Now watch what happens when I drop this. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. 
Aunt Paula would kill me. No, like, um, right? Because you know what would happen. You know what would happen. It would shatter. And it is, so it is, yes, it is a weaker vessel in the sense that it is precious and fragile. Let's understand what the apostle Peter is saying. He's not saying women are less than. He's saying women are precious. He is raising the value and a verse that actually gets taken out of context and used to push down women is actually a verse that in the Greek, he's saying, no, they're precious, honor them. Yes, there's different roles. You're not made to just be thrown in the backpack because also look at the roles of how they're supposed to love. Who's the one who's supposed to take the short end of the stick? Who's the one who's supposed to sacrifice first? The husband, lay down his life and he's designed for that, to serve the wife. Man, it's so important that we understand the context of that. Husbands, honor your wives as more valuable than yourself. That's the principle Peter's teaching. That's what God, that's the instruction manual that God has for husbands. Husbands, honor your wives as more valuable than yourself. Do you trust God's provision for that though? If you prioritize your wife, do you trust God's provision for you? If you put her needs before, but what if she doesn't meet my needs? And what if it's always about her? And what if, what if I'm enabling her? And all of these things. But do you trust that God will provide for you if you prioritize your wife? Practically meeting her needs. Do you trust what Matthew 6 says when Jesus says, and he takes care of everyone's needs. Look at the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. He'll take care of you. This is his design. It's not easy, church, but it's good. Last principle. Last principle for husbands. That last part of verse seven, there's a couple of really good things that we gotta talk about. One, it says this. Since they are heirs, uh, talking about wives, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. There's a couple of things we need to point out here. And one of them is this. This idea that... um, Am I saying, you might be asking, Ben, are you saying that if I don't love and care for my wife, then my prayers will come up short for God? No. The Bible is saying that. Okay? Don't send me angry emails. God's word is absolutely saying that. It's saying, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing them honor to the woman who's the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you by the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. God makes it very clear. He says, yes, I take this seriously. I take the way you treat my daughter seriously. I take the way you honor this woman that I have given you seriously to where if you are in life or business or whatever it is and you feel like, man, why do my prayers feel like they keep hitting a ceiling? There's a lot of things you can check, a lot of inventory you can do there. But one of them might be going back to verse seven of chapter three in First Peter and saying, how am I treating my bride? Am I treating her the way that God has called me to, the instruction manual? Because if you are not, the text is pretty clear that your prayers might not be hindered. Do this, that your prayers might not be hindered. Um, he takes it seriously. Let's take it seriously as husbands. And then secondly, there's this, incredible, there's this incredible nugget here at the very end of this sentiment where he says, since they are heirs, referring to the wives of husbands, since they are heirs, um, that church was a radical statement. 
that in the context, again, that First Peter was writing, to say that women could inherit anything in the culture here, women were property that were inherited in most of the culture here. And yet here, God's word said, no, 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 they are co-heirs with you. That would have been a radical statement that they wouldn't have just breezed over and been like, yeah, yeah, I get it. No, no, this is massively important. That we see this principle here that husbands see your wives as partners in the Christian life. That we see them as partners, as co-heirs in this Christian life um, for the, the grace of life that we're on. And, and that is our mission. We are our partners. Is that happening in your marriage? And so husbands, is there, is there vision casting to that end? To say, man, where can we partner in ministry together, serve together, uh, uh, partner together in the discipleship of children or grandchildren? Uh, what, do, what does our heart beat fast for? How can we pray together, right? That we would be on mission with our wives, that husbands would lead to that end. Uh, and, and maybe that means... Um, maybe that means serving together, volunteering together. Maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit puts something on your wife's heart and for you to partner with her means you stay home with the kids and empower her to go do what God has called her to do. It's gonna look like different in every marriage. But husbands, are we racing towards that mission together with our wives? Are we racing towards that? And do you trust God wants to use his, your marriage for his mission. I don't think it's just that we're, I don't think it's just that we're mean. I think it's that we lose sight of the fact that, no, husbands, wives, we should be on mission. So what is that mission? Let's find it. Maybe it's a lot of little things. Maybe it's one big thing. Spend some time praying about that. Do I really believe he's called us to be on mission together? And then have that conversation with your wife. What is that? Where, are, where is it happening already? I know so many of you are already doing that. How can we do it more? What's God asking us to be obedient with and to? He cares. Co-heirs with the grace of life for his glory. Last thing. Last thing I'll say. Um, I realize this is, this is hard for some people to hear. Um, it is hard for some people to hear it might be easy to say, and yet you're sitting there and you think, but you don't know. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know how much trust has eroded. Or you don't know, you don't know how I've already been defeated. My marriage is already over. Or it feels so hopeless. We're already past that point, and it's now hopeless. And I want you to hear, it is not. We serve a God who brings dead things to life. A God who defeated death. So the hopelessness in your marriage, a frustration, a paralyzation, a shame from your past in relationships that you've still been carrying along with you that God said, you don't need to carry that anymore. Man, there is hope as we trust and submit to God's instructions. And so for wives, as fear creeps in, as that lack of trust starts to to raise up, would we lean in? Would you as a wife lean into a God who says, yes, this is hard, but yes, it is good. And to husbands who feel conviction and weight, would you not leave here beat up? Don't leave beat up. Leave maybe convicted about some things that you can grow in, but leave here 
knowing the grace of God covers it, that you wake up on Monday morning and say, I want to love my wife the way I'm called to. And a wife to say, I want to love and submit to my husband a way that God has given this instruction manual. And then run the marathon that, uh, that it is. But in order to do that, couples, you've got to stay close to Jesus. So would you do that? Would you come to the table and stay close to Jesus? It's your only fuel to make this work. Let me pray over you. Father, thank you. Thank you for how you love us. You loved us first. You loved us perfectly. And Lord, would that be our example? Would our example truly be um, that you are a God who has stepped into our brokenness and our selfishness? You did not leave us where we were, but you've called us to something better. Would that gospel message echo through the principles and the instructions of how we treat each other as husband and wife, always for your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen.